We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. What a week for the Suns. Last week on this podcast, we talked about the three games the Suns were going to face. A big test, essentially. Utah, Denver, back-to-back on the road, and then the LA Clippers. The Suns got out of it 2-1 with a semi-heroic effort against the Clippers. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm wonderful. This was almost a very depressing episode. (laughs) Yeah, because I know. we were we were kind of like, God, why did we decide to record after the Clippers game? Because they were down at halftime. Th- Thirty one. Yeah, you texted me. <laughs> you texted me being like, we just had to do it. We couldn't have done it after the Denver game whenever it would have been amped up and, and listen. <laughs> now, given the heroic effort, in case you didn't watch the game last night against the Clippers, the Suns were down 31 early in the game. They did mm-hmm. lose, but only by five. Um, it was a valiant effort. And, and so I think people are going to. Uh, still be pretty excited. Technically, the Suns are still tied uh, for the number one seed in the Western Conference. They're not the sole owner of that seed anymore. Um, but fans still have many, many reasons to be excited about this team. And I think later on in this episode, we're going to start by recapping the game they just played last night, even despite the disappointing finish. But then we're also just going to talk about some of the general principles that we've seen in this team through seven games yeah. now that have made them a not just a middling playoff team in the Western Conference, but actually one of the best ones. Down by 31 early in this game, um, which I thought was really interesting. And there's a lot of things I think we could talk about from that specific part of the game. But I just want to ask you in a general sense, why do you think the Suns went down by 31? <laughs> yeah, I mean, their, their execution was absolutely horrific. Um, I, I honestly don't know what it was, I think. I mean, I I do know what it was. First of all, I thought their half-court offense in the the first half of that game was actually pretty good and was kind of working by design. Um, We've seen this year that the Suns are at least... I don't know if the stats are going to update and be different after the Clippers game. We're recording right after the game, so we don't have the most up-to-date to-the-minute stats. But at least as of earlier today, the Suns were 30th in the league in pace. And I think some of the downsides that we've seen were kind of clear. Uh, in the first half of this game because they were running this very deliberate offense. They were getting good looks. They were working to find the mismatch against the Clippers. And then, honestly, they were getting a lot of open shots. They were just missing them. The problem is 
the Clippers, with the personnel that they have between Patrick Beverly, Serge Ibaka, not to mention Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, when you're working that hard in your half-court offense to try and draw those mismatches on them, you can get points that way, and the Suns did get some points that way, but it can't be the be-all, end-all of your offense. You need to get stops on them against defense. You need to get out and run and get some transition buckets. Um, If you're going to be missing shots uh, in the half-court on offense, you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely need to crash the offensive glass. Um, And so in the first half of the game, when the Suns were down 31, they had one offensive rebound, the entire roster in the entire first half. Patrick Beverly had two offensive rebounds in the first half outdid the entire Suns roster. And then in the second half, when the Suns started catching up, you saw DeAndre Ayton. He finished the game with four offensive rebounds. We're going to talk about him, I'm sure. He was great. Um, Other guys, too. Dario Saric had some. It was a collective team effort um, to get stops and and to crash the glass. They just didn't get enough stops because Paul George went thermonuclear. I'll, I'll say this, too, just to add to it. Something as simple as this. Going into this game, I'm not sure if the NBA stats have updated. I didn't write down this stat before the game, but going into this game, the Suns were averaging opponent three-point attempts were 28 three-point attempts for an entire game. The Clippers were 10 for 20 in that first half alone from the three-point line. As good as the defense has been for the Suns so far, a lot of your defense, a lot of teams' defense in the NBA against the three-pointers, and against the three-point line, by all advanced metrics, kind of is random. There are games where teams will hit three-pointers on you. There are games where they'll just miss a bunch, like the Suns did in the first half of this game, where they made two, I believe. Maybe three by the end of the quarter, second quarter. But what you can do on defense against three-pointers is you can try to limit the amount of three-point attempts the other team is taking. You can try to force them to be from guys that maybe are their worst three-point uh, players, like the Bucks are famous for playing a style of defense that packs the paint and specifically uh, allows them uh, other teams to shoot a lot of three-pointers but tries to focus those three-pointers to be from the worst three-point shooters in the other team which is interesting. The Suns so far had done a really good job limiting just the total amount of three-point attempts that were taken against them. But the Clippers, it didn't work on them. Whatever they were doing didn't work. I think it would be an interesting game to go back and rewatch to see exactly why that is. Uh, but they hit shots the Suns didn't. And I think a lot of that hole that they were they found themselves in at the beginning was that. I think a little bit of it is DeAndre in, has been pretty good in uh, all the games that that sort of the Utah game was a little shaky the Denver game was interesting we're going to talk a little bit more about him later but in a lot of the games his focus is off at the beginning of games and then he gets progressively better as the games go on and I think this is a game the defense was off at the beginning of the game partially because of he was off at the beginning of the game and and he's so important for that defense because he's the last line at that rim that if he's off, it can throw everyone off a little bit. And that means shots start falling because everyone's collapsing. Everyone's a little confused. It looked pretty ugly, though. But I think they figured something out in this game. I actually think that, in a way, this hole was good for them because Devin Booker became a little bit more assertive. He looked really good in this game. Uh, I thought the defense really started clamping down. There's ways for this team to win. They can win by hitting a ton of threes. That's going to happen a lot. But they need to figure out how to win very ugly because the teams that win a lot are the teams that can win in a lot of different ways. But I thought as the game went on, after that hole, they started to look a little bit more like the team that we saw early on and Devin Booker himself started to look a little bit more like him. Look, he played 44 minutes too, by the way. So, of course, you're going to score more if you just play more minutes. But what did you think about the game after that hole? Well, it's actually kind of crazy looking at the box score now because I didn't look at it. Uh, immediately after the game, at least. And yeah, Booker played 45 minutes, like you said. He only took 13 shots, Um, but he was very aggressive. You know what we haven't seen from Devin Booker so far this season? He hasn't really been getting to the free throw line. It's not just been a matter of uh, overall his offensive game isn't assertive enough, but especially I think his free throw rate is like half of what it was last year. Um, And and another weird thing is kind of an aside – uh, it's weird to see Devin Booker miss free throws. That wasn't really a thing that happened last year, and then this year he's shooting like 70%. I think that's just small sample size and is eventually going to converge back to where we expect it to be. But the point is, uh, Devin Booker tonight, 10 for 12 from the free throw line, uh, and, and that's with the Clippers respecting him as much as they did, respecting his gravity. I mean, he had this was the first game, finally, 
where he broke the turnover spell just a little bit. He had eight assists to two turnovers. Um, mm-hmm. He was the engine of the Suns' offense in, in that second half for sure. And, and so I really, really do agree with you. I liked uh, what we saw out of him a lot. Yeah, I thought he turned... Look, he, 13, 13 shots, 25 points. I mean, that's that's the type of Devin Booker that we need. But so much of his problems, I think, with scoring, because his scoring was below average, and turnovers, there's a lot of talk about his turnovers and how that's been affecting the team. To me, I'm not super worried about them. In this game, only two turnovers. I think a lot of that had to do with um, him looking for other guys, uh, there being this sort of... You know, last before the last season started, once Ricky Rubio was signed, the team was kind of put together. There was one specific goal that Monty gave the team before the season started, and that was to lead the NBA in assists. He wanted them to be the highest assist team in the NBA, which is a good it's a good thing to want, right? It's it's going to be important that they continue to move the ball really well. But I just don't know that that's exactly how you want Devin Booker playing on this specific team. The team is very Chris Paul heavy when Chris Paul is on the floor. And what that means is Chris Paul gets the ball, he walks it down the court, and the first thing he does is dictate exactly where every player needs to be based on the situation in the game. That means that it's going to run relatively slowly. There's not going to be a fast pace. That means that he's calling the plays as far as what will be the best option at that specific time of the game. When Chris Paul is off the floor, Devin Booker's on the floor, he needs to just look look for his shot a little bit more. He needs to be a little more selfish. He needs to yep. be a guy who's willing to score a lot of points because that's what this team is going to need him to do when it really comes down to the wire. And I thought that he did that really well in this game. And I, I thought just figuring that specific thing out is very important for this team going forward because he just needs to do it. Now, turnovers-wise, I think there's a huge conversation about his turnovers I'm just not super worried about it. I think now that he's going to be, if he continues to play like this, if he continues to look for his shot a little bit more, and that means get free throw attempts, by the way. It's not just about the shot. The reason he had 25 points on 13 attempts is because he had 12 free throws. I mean, that's really what it is. And if he continues to do that, I think those turnovers will start to go away. And eventually that will turn into more assists as well. I just don't think that assists, assists need to be as high on this team as they were in the previous few seasons for them to still be very good. There's a lot of good passers on this team, Chris Paul being the best. What do you think? Well, I want to go back to a thing you said before that point, and then I'll address that point too. Just as evidence mm-hmm. of what you were talking about with the two of them staggering, I know we caution people against using single game plus minus, whatever. But Chris Paul tonight, minus eight in 36 minutes. Devin Booker, plus 14 in 45 minutes. Guess what that means happened in those other nine minutes? that Booker was playing and Chris Paul was not. You know, the Suns went on a crazy run. And also your guy, Dario Saric, you should run another uh, (laughs) query looking up his net rating again after this game because he was a plus 12 in 17 minutes. Yeah, Um, and that was after starting out pretty bad. Yeah, so his Uh, net rating is going to continue to be, like, ridiculous. It's Mm going to be insane um but yeah just speaking to your point booker was aggressive it worked i think it's sustainable and and as for the turnovers i i was never worried about those either um Mm -hmm. could there be a slight uptick in the adjustment period absolutely but what we've seen so far from him is a guy who's averaging more turnovers than than assists it was just it was never going to continue to be that bad on a on a long-term basis yeah, and, and he's, the Suns are playing at an incredibly slow pace, as we talked about last season. I tweeted this out, but just to repeat it here, because I know a lot of people don't follow me that listen here. Last season, Devin Booker was 10th in the NBA in transition possessions per game at 4.7. That's down, at least before this game. The stats haven't updated yet, to 3.2 this season. And that's 19% of his offense down to 13% of his offense total, which is just the type of thing that starts to affect you over time. I think this is ultimately actually good for the team. I do think that when Chris Paul's off the floor and Devin Booker's running the show a little bit, they need to be more willing to run mm. because he's just a very good transition finisher. He can get to the rim. There's easy buckets to get there when they're running with him and Cameron Payne, who's also fast. Uh, I do think going forward in the playoffs, it slows down anyway. In very tight games, it slows down anyway. This is part of the reason I think Chris Paul teams are so good in the clutch because Chris Paul plays at that slow pace already. He's very familiar with that. It's not something that throws him off in any way. If you rely too much on transition points, 
it's tough in the clutch. We've we've seen that with a lot of teams. We saw that with the Suns in the past. We we've, we've seen that with the Bucks in the current NBA. Don't rely too much on it. The games will all slow down at some point. You have to have a competent half court offense. So overall, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think if you're looking at some of Devin Booker's scoring issues, you could point at tr- the fact that they're not running as much, and he's a 100%. great transition player. Right. Uh, so he's got to find other ways to score, I guess. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, something I tweeted today. So yeah, the Suns are 30th in pace. Again, we bring up that stat a lot. I think just because it's so jarring based on where they were, like they were yeah. top 10 in the league last year. And I remember specifically when Monty Williams came in and was tapped to be head coach of the Suns, he had run some very slow systems with Chris Paul in New Orleans. And before we knew anything about how Monty Williams would coach in 2019, we kind of questioned if that would be the structure uh, that he decided to install in Phoenix again. And it kind of wasn't with Ricky Rubio. Well, now that the pace has slowed down again, even though the Suns are bottom of the league in pace, they are the slowest team, they are first in transition efficiency in the short sample size that we've seen. A lot of that is, as you said, because Devin Booker is really good. Um, a lot of it is also because Mikhail Bridges is really good, really yeah. efficient, and, and you know, kind of to be expected. Like, he's not going to throw it down with, like, crazy tomahawk slams like a Kelly Oubre, right? Like, he's not a flashy finisher, but he just fills the lane and, and gets the job done. We've seen him do it as a cutter in the half-court offense, and in the transition now, it's becoming more and more evident that he can very clearly do that as well. Cam Johnson is also a guy who I think is underrated just yeah. as a, a transition. You know, he, he fills a different type of role, but it's a transition spot up shooter. So how do you reconcile that? You know, I'll turn it back on you. 30th in the league in pace. First in the league, though, when you do get out and run in transition efficiency and then kind of to, to relate it to tonight, the Clippers had 14 fast break points tonight. Phoenix had two. So, you know, you could talk about half-court offense is something that's very important in the playoffs. Um, the pace slows down. You need to rely more heavily on getting mismatches and, and isolating. All of that is absolutely true. Maybe you would have won the game tonight, though, if you leaked out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think it is a conversation we should have of, of where yeah. exactly do you strike the balance. Well, I think we have to talk about something else then that relates to that, and that's rebounding. We had a long conversation early on before the season started about the the problems that this team may have with rebounding. And so far, they've been relatively good. They're still close to the bottom of the league in rebounding, but it hasn't affected them in a way that has been like a drastic thing that's affecting wins. And one of the reasons they're capable of doing that is it's not always just DeAndre Ayton going for the rebound. You have three or four guys that are crashing the boards at, at a lot of times. If you have three or four guys that are crashing the boards, it's difficult to get out and run in transition as well. Those two things are very related. And I think they need to continue to gang rebound because DeAndre Ayton can occupy one body, maybe two mm-hmm. in some scenarios, but that's it. Like he's not going to be capable of, of stopping, especially on those help defense, which he does do a lot. It's easy for other guys to get in there and grab the boards. So with this team, there needs to be a, a balance on two different things. Rebounding is is vital, and I think they need to continue to focus on rebounding. But I also think there is an element of finding the right balance between when Devin Booker is running the show and Chris Paul is running the show. And this happens with every team that has two really great players. It takes a little bit of time to find the right balance between those two uh, superstars. And I think there is going to be a point in time where it's going to feel a little bit like two different teams when Chris Paul is on the floor and then when Devin Booker is on the floor without Chris Paul. When Devin Booker is on the floor without Chris Paul, they need to show a willingness to run a little bit more, especially if they right. have enough rebounding surrounding him. Maybe that'll help a little bit when somebody like Jalen Smith is healthy and they can get maybe two bigs in there. <laughs> I know that scares some people. I think with Darius no, Arch, it's not going to be a bit, a bit of a problem, but that does uh, help the rebounding like help. for sure. That would be a plus. Yeah. I, you know, so I do think that for Monty Williams, he, he's got a lot to work with. Like, uh, like I said, there's enough tools in the toolbox. That's, that's a big phrase that I'm going to say now. Uh, it's just about finding the right balance. And you can't do that in practice. You have to play out these games. Everything is different when there's opponents on the floor. And I think they're going to figure things out over time. But I, there might be times where it just it literally feels and looks like two different teams. And I'm okay with that. And I, I'd like to see them run a little bit more when Chris Paul is off the floor. Yeah, it's a situational thing depending on matchups partially. And I get that. You know, it actually brings up memories for me of a couple years ago with Igor Kokoshkov. You remember... Do you remember? I mean, that was the that was the first season we did this podcast, right? So, do you remember mm. how frequently we complained about 
the Suns being just the worst rebounding team in the NBA, which I think they literally were. And it was because they had DeAndre Ayton to do exactly what you were talking about. He occupied yeah. one body on the defensive glass, but then you were starting TJ Warren uh, at power forward, who's like roughly the same size as Jay Crowder. You know, he's not he's not any taller. He's thinner for sure, but a similarly sized guy. And the Suns just sucked. You know, they were a good transition team, but they just couldn't get defensive rebounds and it killed them. So it definitely is a balance. You know, the other thing that I think is interesting in this conversation is when you talk about, okay, Chris Paul comes off the floor, it's time to run. Something that's betrayed my eye test so far, and I just verified the stat um, to, to make sure. Again, the stats haven't updated since the end of the Clippers game, but since before that, campaign, the pace is actually even lower when campaign is on the floor so far this season um, versus when Chris Paul is on the floor, right. which is something that surprised me. Just from my eye test, I would be like, okay, Chris Paul's off the floor. Let's get campaign in. He's going to be the volume shooter. And he's just, I mean, he's a little bit out of control with the ball sometimes. I'm not going to lie. But but theoretically, the idea is give campaign the ball. You're trusting him to be your sixth man, your spark plug, and, and yeah. let him go, go, go. That hasn't according to the stats that hasn't exactly materialized uh so far in the way i expected that's really interesting that's not something that i would have expected either especially because there has been a tendency to that cam cameron Payne's not really on the floor a lot with chris paul like that's just not really happening that much it's mostly with devin booker and you would think that when they're when chris paul's off the floor they would run it a little bit more and yeah that that's surprising for me as well Today, actually, there was interesting moments of the game where Cameron Payne, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker were all on the floor together, uh, which I don't think has happened that much going into this game. We saw some fun lineups for the first time. We saw that three-guard lineup. Yeah, um, I don't and hate then, that too, by the way. Sorry? That's interesting. It's an interesting lineup. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I don't know if it worked <laughs> today. Um, you know what else? Yeah, um, it's probably not the right team for it. You know They're what big. else was on the floor for like two minutes, and I couldn't really... Ah. Jay Crowder played center for a yeah. little bit. DeAndre Ayton picked yeah. up his fifth foul. I guess Dario was, they didn't want Dario in there. And so Jay played, mm-hmm. uh, you know what it was? I think Paul George might've been like the tall, like Ibaka was off the floor. Um, Batum was even maybe, I, I don't really remember, but I think Paul George might've been the tallest player for the Clippers out there on the floor. So Monty said, okay, fuck it. We're going to, we're going to match them. And, and Jay's going to be our center. Yeah. Um, it was like for two minutes. And, and then I they thought, put Ibaka in and yeah, sorry, yeah. came back in. I mean, I thought it was fascinating. To I watch. actually think you could get away with that with Sharich on the floor as well. You know, there has 100%. to be a focus by all five guys to rebound. But what the Clippers were doing, Clippers, by the way, the only team going into this game that had a slower pace than the Suns. Uh, so right there in the bottom of pace. You can tell just looking at the final score of this game, right? It wasn't exactly a super high, high scoring game. Uh, you know, and it picked up it's, at the end it's too. Weird. It's weird that we say that about a game one twelve to one oh seven in, yeah. in twenty twenty. You know, because well, like, the rest of the scores tonight one twenty three to one twenty two, oh, one twenty two to one twenty, one twenty seven to one fourteen, one eighteen to one oh eight. You know? Right. Trust me, I know exactly what you mean. It's just funny yeah. because like flashback to two thousand five and like seven yeah. seconds takes the league by storm, and it's like. Oh my God! The the Phoenix Suns—they're averaging 108 points per game, like it's some points, you know yeah. crazy yeah. insane thing. And I I, yeah. I always just think it's funny—it's a tangentially related conversation. But I always just think yeah. it's funny when people kind of reminisce about that era, even now, and still think of it as like like seven seconds was cool, but it wasn't literally seven seconds, if that makes sense. Like teams play faster yeah. now, and I don't think everyone necessarily realizes that. Um, you know, it definitely fact- kickstarted a revolution, though, for sure. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, somebody online tomorrow remind me to look up the stats for the pace for the seven seconds or less Suns and compare it to what the Suns are playing at now. I bet I bet it's not that different just, just to illustrate how much the game has changed. But to go back to that point, the Clippers were slower than the Suns going into this game. And one of the things they do is they force switches and they have two guys that can punish switches which, with Kawhi Leonard who likes to go in the post, Paul George who likes to shoot step backs and, and get to the rim. And if they're continually doing that against the Suns, teams like them specifically are exactly the type of teams where I think you you should probably experiment with Jay Crowder at center. And, and you know, they were willing to put Chris Paul on Paul George, which worked pretty well, actually. And if you're willing to do that, you have to have some sort of willingness to play around with that Jay Crowder at center lineup a little bit more. Cameron Johnson struggled, I think, a little bit in this game. And that's probably why mm-hmm. they weren't willing to do that a little bit more. 
Uh, but I actually, I like that and I hope they do that a little bit more. And that's something I'm sure we're going to talk about going forward. I do want to ask you something. Yeah. Uh, Javon Carter, three minutes and 20 seconds <laughs> in this game. Langston Galloway also only <laughs> four minutes. Javon Carter struggling a little bit, shooting the ball. He had a good game in Utah. Um, and, you know, he's played relatively well, but it seems like they might be phasing out his minutes a little bit. Do you think um, that's something that's happening? Or I don't think, do think that's that? I don't think that's happening as much as it's just... I think Javon has always been the type of guy where if you're getting a lot out of him on a certain night, you want him out there for 20 to 25 minutes and to, like, play a large role in your defense. But if he's not hitting his shots there isn't a reason to play him more than three or four. So I think he's yeah. just one of those high-variance playing playing time guys. You know, I think he's going to finish out the season averaging close to 10 to 15, barring mm-hmm. any injuries that force him to take a bigger role. But it's just we're going to see a bunch of games kind of on either end of the spectrum like this. And, you know, tonight I, I have faith in Javon. After what I saw last year, I think he's a 40% three-point shooter when the season is all said and done. He's just in a shooting slump right now, and they need him to, to work through it. Until he gets through it, he's not going to play that much. Um, the last thing yeah. I have to say about this game, and then we should probably move on, mm-hmm. is uh, you were talking about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, I thought I was scared when I saw Mikhail Bridges, um, and and this is kind of crazy, but I was scared when I saw Mikhail Bridges lined up against uh, Iron Man to start the game, which is how I'm going to refer to masked Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> um, just because I thought he was he was too strong for him, you know, like that's one of the matchups. That's one of the few matchups in the NBA that traditionally punishes Mikhail Bridges. And uh, four for twenty one from the field, it's it's pretty incredible. I'm, how, look, I'm not going to give the Suns any credit for that. Kawhi Leonard was getting the shots he normally gets. Yeah, it's, you're he right. He was just missing right. them. He was. He was. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was just a, a, a little bit of relief, right? Paul George killed us tonight, but but Kawhi couldn't buy a bucket. You know, it's funny about. Kawhi Leonard's mask it looks like it was designed to give you COVID like <laughs> it has a hole in your in the mouth it has a hole in the nose and it has a hole in the eyes everything else is covered up it's like it's yeah. like it's filtering whatever COVID is around him directly into the places that could give it to him um sorry one more thing and it's not really necessarily about this game uh but Cameron Johnson two for eight from three in this game not that I'm worried at all about the shot but that's eight three-point attempts in this game I believe he had eight in the previous game it's getting up there i mean we talked about the uh the seven three-point attempts would put him in the top i think top 15 and three-point attempts we talked about it in last season it's starting to get there i think he's starting to be more and more willing uh to put up shots and i think that's gonna mean for him nights like tonight where he shoots 25 percent from three that's okay because there will be nights going forward where all of a sudden he's shooting 65% from three or something at a higher rate. Uh, but that total three-point attempt rate, that's that's climbing. I think we saw it a little lower. Now I saw there was a pump fake in this game where a guy flew by him and he didn't dribble into the lane. He actually shot the three still. Mm-hmm. I was very excited about yeah, that. That's I mean, more and more of that is what we need. Tonight, Cam Johnson was the living embodiment of the Dion Waiters meme of I'd rather shoot 0 for 30 than 0 for 9 or whatever the hell he said a couple of years ago, you know, because you don't want to lose confidence. Shooters never lose confidence. And honestly, Cam Johnson, the way he has been shooting the shooting the ball, he should have had like 15 or 20 points tonight because the Suns offense by design was creating him some fantastic looks. He just missed and it's okay, you know, the, yeah. through effort and crashing the glass and all the stuff we talked about, they were able to come back. There are going to be games like this. There aren't going to be a lot of games where your opponent shoots 60% from, from three going forward. So Yeah, exactly. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to talk about the Suns are still technically number one in the Western Conference right now at a 5-2 and two record. We're going to talk about some things that we think has contributed to their hot start so far this season, and we're going to bring back another segment. So we'll be right back. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art with Q&As from Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. 
So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com join. All right, Sam, I paid somebody to make another song for us. We're bringing back Player of the Week. This this season is actually back now. It feels a little bit regular compared to, say, the bubble or what we experienced previously in the preseason. That means that we're bringing back segments, starting with Player of the Week this week. Player of the Week is a segment where I choose a Player of the Week and Sam chooses a Player of the Week for whatever reason. It could be Suns. It could be non-Suns if we want to. It could be to talk about how bad they've been. It could be to talk about how good they've been. Whatever we want. But what I like to do for this segment is to play random songs that people make. Theme songs for Player of the Week. That means you listening to this, if you'd like to make a Player of the Week song, feel free to make one. We'll tell you. How, just reach out to us. We'll tell you how to send it over to us. But for now, I, like I went on Fiverr. admitted that we just talk about whatever we want in this segment, like under the guise of using a segment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's structure, it's, but it's not, it's not really structure. If you think yeah, about it, usually it's the players that we'd like to talk about specifically for whatever reason for the Suns, And that usually means they played well. Uh, but I went on Fiverr, which is a website where you can pay random people to do random things. And I paid someone, a, an Eastern European rapper I'm not sure what country he's from, but it's definitely not the United States based on the time zone he's in. To write a song for Player of the Week for Fiverr, you give them a few details, they send you back a song, and this is the song that he sent. Here you go, Sam. This This will be the first time Sam is hearing it. Sun's hot, but there's gotta be a spark. Bring it to the game like a light in the dark. And mark my words, you might just hear it here first. Enormous performance is hardwood's about to burst. Sometimes a game hinges up on a player like Bridges or Booker with a no looker or three point shot from the fringes. We let the ball do the talking and we're all watching them speak. So here's a conversation about our player of the week. Uh. There it is. Wait, are you sure we haven't are you sure we haven't used this one before? I don't know that we have. I, I can't remember that- anymore. I think there's a chance that I sent it to you. I So here's the thing. We welcome all <laughs> genres of submissions. First of all, that was pretty good. I can't remember if we've used it in an episode before because we've <laughs> we've cycled through. We went through a f- in like an indie pop phase, like a bedroom <laughs> kind of folk phase. Uh, and then I think we've done other rappers. Again, how much did you how much did you pay for that? Five bucks? Ten dollars, I think. was His name was hey, Petrovita, by the way. Ten bucks. What what info did you send him? Did he, does he know uh, about Phoenix Mc- Suns? I said this is Phoenix Suns, and two basketball players are named Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges. Okay, he, well uh, there you go. He he used, <laughs> he used Mikael Bridges' name, so uh, I'd say dude did a great job. Yeah, and if you heard that before, I'm sorry. If you haven't, um, that's fine because we have. I actually have another one for next week. I have to find it that somebody sent us that we can play next week from from a fan. Um, but shout out to Petrovita for that. All right, player of the week. I have a player, you have a player. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Uh, you go first. Okay, my player of the week is Cameron Payne. Cameron Payne, uh, first of all, he's shooting 50% from three on the Suns still to this day. Exactly 50% from three. It seems like uh, he might go up and might go down, but he'll never drop below that mark so far. That's through 15 games, by the way, bubble and this season combined. But... Before the season, we talked about how important this backup guard position is. Now, it's regardless of if there are minutes without Devin Booker and Chris Paul, which so far have not been terrible. This specific game against the Clippers, uh, they were terrible. But I think beyond that, outside of that, for the previous six games, pretty good. Not terrible so far. So much about that has been what Cameron Payne has done. He has put pressure on the defense in very interesting ways. He's able to find guys. I'm not even going to go through his averages because I don't think they matter that much. But he can find guys um, with assists. He can pull up in transition, which is something that makes me nervous every time he does it, I'll be honest. But he's continually shooting 50% from three, not on a huge number of attempts, but enough that it matters. 
But his ability to penetrate and even attack switches, like if a big man switches out to him, he's going to get to the rim. He loves that. Has been so huge for this team because as good as Devin Booker is at finding other guys and as much as we think he's capable of being a point guard, even if he is the best possible point guard he can be, the NBA needs multiple shot creators on the floor at all times. That's the best way to be good. And if Cameron Payne can continue to do what he's doing, which is be a capable NBA shot creator who can create for himself and can create for others, that's going to be a huge, huge, huge boost for this team. And that's outside of his effort on the defense, which is Javon Carter-esque. He's constantly giving it his all. We've seen him switch on to guys like Zion or uh, Gobert, I think, for a possession or two, and he's held his own as a point guard. So I picked Cameron Payne. I thought he's been excellent, excellent, and a huge important player, role player ultimately. But when you're a point guard role player, it's it's hard to be like a role player in the traditional sense because of how much the ball is in your hands. So he's been really good. What have you thought of Cameron Payne so far? He's been amazing. Uh, I wrote, this was a week ago, so, you know, a little bit outdated, but I wrote a <laughs> column for Bright Side of the Sun uh, just about campaign and his hot start. I mean, his finishing, you touched on it. The ability to switch onto bigs and just cook them in the open floor. Uh, he, he really can do that um, with his live dribble. And, and his uh, effort on defense is commendable. I think that's part of a team scheme thing. They just really want to put the focus on defensive rebounding. And that's a team effort. And, and campaign has played his part, as you mentioned, whether it's Zion or Rudy Gobert. I think there's another... Another clip you got of him switching on to someone who's 80 pounds heavier than him at some point this season, but it's the name is escaping me. But yeah, he's been he's been awesome. Let me just turn it back on you real quick. Do you? We talked about George Hill mm-hmm. as a name uh, before yeah. the season started. I, I think we were just kind of trying to explore uh, emergency backup plans, you know. And and has uh, have you changed your mind? about that no. at all like no, would you no, still no, no. love george hill on this team or or absolutely how, okay so you know how much faith do you have in campaign really it it always you know there's a there's a famous clip of i forget who it is it's one of those old-timey comedians where he's on a train and and they're like laying the maybe it's a cartoon they're like laying the tracks on the train as the train is moving um you know it, it feels a little bit like that like it feels like cameron Payne is constantly laying the tracks in front of the train as it's moving you know, just one step ahead of disaster. And, you know, that's that's what he needs to be. And as much as I want to say it's not for real, it still has been for real. At some point, if it remain, if it's not, uh, you know, that would be a disaster for the Suns. It's, it's difficult to replace guys who are creating for others. But when you're making a move like George Hill, you're looking ahead to the playoffs and you're saying this guy is an excellent defender who has experience, has been on... I'm not sure if he's on those championship Spurs teams. I imagine he's won at least one championship with the Spurs. I, it seems like he would have. Um, but he's got lots and lots of playoff experiences, and, and he's a guy who can make you a better team deep into the playoffs, and there's not a lot of those guys available. George Hill, the problem with George Hill is if you want to trade for him now during the season, it's difficult to match salary with a guy like George Hill without giving up players that do matter for this team he makes like 10 million dollars he also has a partially guaranteed contract for next year so the idea of george hill being bought out this season it's not likely they'd have to pay enough uh you know to to somehow make that worth his while with a guy who's partially guaranteed for next year um so we no may have just i just killed if that this idea because <laughs> yeah. i hadn't i like i hadn't thought it through i was just like yeah george hill's great i hadn't really thought about the logistics and you you yeah. make it seem difficult Yeah, I've already sort of, if they buy him out, yeah. I mean, obviously, the Suns left the BAE open. That's something where if every other team only has a a veteran's minimum, the Suns can offer more, you know, and and I think that matters for the Suns, and I think that's why they kept it open for specifically for guys like George Hill. Or in this, in a lot of cases, I think for the Suns, if a big man gets bought out for another team, they can they can get that big man because the depth is bad, as we've seen when Dario Saric is out. It's not that great. It's Kaminsky now who did well, by the way, in the last few games, but is not my somebody player of the that you week. want seeing the floor a lot. Yeah, it's not player of the week. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, who do you have for player of the week? Uh, I have this guy, you know, he's... Uh, it's just... I'm not going to make a stupid joke about it. I have DeAndre Ayton <laughs> as my player of the week. I was trying to think of uh, something quick-witted, but yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not that quick. 
Um, DeAndre Aiden, I think, deserves some credit from all of us, yeah. right? I mean, look, uh, what's factoring into what I'm considering this week is everything since our most recent episode. That's that's the game against Utah, the game against Denver, and the game uh, tonight against LA. And the game against Utah was a bit of a turd. But after that, we're going to ignore that one selectively. Uh, 24 points. Uh, sorry, I already screwed up. 22 points against Denver, 10 of 13 <laughs> shooting, 11 rebounds, 2 blocks, and some lockdown defensive anchor type defense that he played in that one. And then tonight, 24 points, 9 of 12 shooting, 6 of 7 from the free throw line. Actually yeah. got to the free throw line. Um, I alluded to it earlier. Four offensive rebounds tonight. Um, had zero in the first half. They they simply don't come back in this game without his contribution on the offensive glass, and they don't win against Denver without his contribution on both ends. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, he he's had a rough start to the season, at least his first four or five games. He, he kind of seemed to be struggling to find his offensive role. Um, and now the past two games, 22 points and 24 points. And I think the craziest thing about it, especially if you look at a game like tonight, it's not... DeAndre Ayton commanding 20 post touches all along. We've been saying that it never would be that. It doesn't take DeAndre Ayton 20 field goal attempts to get to 24 points. He just needs to make a concerted effort to roll each and every time with the understanding that in some games, he's just not going to get, you know, he's not going to get the ball because the defense is going to be collapsing in on him and it's going to be Devin Booker, Chris Paul, or the open shooters in the corners who are going to be profiting off of his roll gravity. But in some games, like tonight, he's going to get, you know, the offensive rebounds and the putbacks and the uh, the pick and roll finishes. And, and it could be very, very easy for him with that level of aggression getting to the free throw line um, to get up to, to 20 or more points per game. It really wouldn't be that difficult. It's funny with DeAndre, the level of confidence I have in, in the jump shot specifically, when it's from the baseline and when it's from like the free throw line area. I hate the free throw lane area one and I kind of love the little baseline turnaround specifically when there are big guys guarding him. He's never missed that shot. I'm calling it right now. He's I'm not going to look up the stats because because I know exactly what you're talking about when he spins towards the baseline and takes that turnaround shot. He hits it every time, especially when when it's not like he's not dribbling and trying to create space. He just goes into it as soon as he catches it. He's just Uh, he has to spend like 45 minutes warming up at that like one spot every day like because he's he's just automatic from that one spot that's the lamarcus aldridge uh turnaround but if he tries to spin the other direction hopeless really bad shot so i don't i don't understand you know and and the other part is dribbling we we've asked for him to dribble more i think we've seen early on in this season why it doesn't happen that much uh he struggles he struggles with it and that's fine we've talked about it a lot there's so much more he can do with for this team Defense, he's been great, specifically in that Denver game. Like, if you want to watch an example of how good he can be and how much he can matter on defense, just rewatch that Denver game because there's nothing they can do. He was protecting the rim, doing the traditional rim protector stuff. And then Jamal Murray, who was insanely hot to start that game, he was shutting him down on his own by himself, really with no help uh, from others. And that's that's the type of defensive versatility that could make him possibly the most versatile center on defense in the NBA if you don't count Anthony Davis, basically. And that's huge. And and there are times like with DeAndre, and there are times where he just makes huge mistakes and they're very obvious. And that's the thing about when you're a center is the defensive mistakes that you make are obvious because all of a sudden the rim is wide open. One or two of those a game, fine. If he continues to play the way he did in the last two games where it's just not often that those huge glaring mistakes are being made, this team's going to be very, very good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there was a few of them in the first quarter of this Clippers game, but as it went along, one of the main reasons the Suns were able to catch up and make this more of a game was DeAndre Ayton's effort on the defensive end and his effort on reboundings, uh, rebounding. And you talked about it. Rolling to the rim is so important because if he can't dribble, which he's not done a great job at so far, uh, when he's in the trees, when he's under the basket and he catches it, we're not going to count on him on to escape out of there. He can get the ball out on some passes, those sort of over-the-head passes that he fires to the corners. But if he continues to go up with it when he's in those trees, there's nothing they can do. He's very, very strong, and that means that they're going to have to foul him in order to stop him from getting a shot up at the rim. And he's a good free throw shooter, as we saw tonight, and he can get some easy points that way. So today, I thought specifically, was a great example of rolling and how important those rolls can be 
And I think the Suns are finding different ways to get him the ball. Jay Crowder has played a major role in that in the last two games because uh, they're stopping those passing lanes for Chris Paul. They're trying to stop him for Devin Booker, and that means that extra pass is going to matter a little bit more for him. But yeah, this game specifically against the Clippers, if he continues to do what he did in this game on offense, it's going to be really hard to, to guard the Suns. So an impressive, specifically two-game stretch for DeAndre Ayton. So great, great pick there. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about DeAndre Ayton? No, I think we basically covered it. Um, you know, tonight, I guess the last thing I'll say tonight, defensively, the the same stuff that worked against Denver, switching on to Jamal Murray and, and all of them, they tried it again. And uh, I thought fundamentally he was sound, and it just shows how much faith they have in him in the first place to even do that. He just picked up a couple of ticky-tack fouls against Paul George, and, and Paul George couldn't miss. And it was one of those matchups. You know, DeAndre can shift his feet, um, and he's very nimble for a guy in his frame, but that's not like, it's not an automatic cheat code. You know, <laughs> there's still going to be guys he switches against who cook him. And, and yeah. tonight was just one of those nights. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, last thing we wanted to get to is each of us were trying to pick two specific reasons we thought the Suns got out to a hot start, just to quickly cover before the end of this podcast, because I think this has been a very interesting start for the Suns. Obviously, they're good, and they've played well, and there are things to point out, and we wanted to point out a couple of things there. I'll go first, since you just went with DeAndre Ayton there. And I wanted to point out this one specifically because I think... Devin Booker has taken some heat from Suns fans for his turnovers. And one of the things the Suns have actually been very, very good at so far this season is not turning the ball over. They're actually currently, after this game, sixth in the NBA uh, for the least amount of turnovers per game. And I, I, Chris Paul is a huge reason why. Obviously, this guy is just a guy who just doesn't turn the ball over much at all. And that's huge, and you really get to see it because he doesn't make a lot of stupid mistakes with the ball, and he's more likely to just hold it for a second to make sure that somebody runs out to him if the defense collapses. He doesn't get rid of the ball and panic at all. And for as much as Devin Booker struggled early, this team is still sixth, and going into this game, it was fifth. By the way, uh, Sam, if you'd like to refresh your your browser here the stats have updated on nba.com if you want to see some updated stats but now the suns are sixth tied actually with the clippers for the least amount of turnovers and i think that's something that the suns will continue to do well and as devin booker cuts them down i think that they could be near the top in the league for the least amount of turnovers and probably the best in the league at assist to turnover ratio because of how good some of the passers are on this team um, I said it on Twitter. I don't think they're going to lead the league in assists like they did last season, but I think they could lead the league in assist to turnover ratio. So that's the first thing I wanted to point out is not turning the ball over. They're just not making a ton of stupid mistakes, and I think that's going to go a long ways for this team. What do you think? Yeah, it's definitely uh, mostly that Chris Paul guy, but also campaign has been really yeah. good with that too. I think he's got you know like a 4.0 assist turnover ratio i don't have the stats right in front of me um mikhail bridges too uh got his first uh turnover of the season this year i was uh this mm-hmm. year um today this game yeah yeah this game i a was very dramatic it, one too <laughs> i was very very sad to see it um i had yeah. been making jokes about how you can't even calculate his assist turnover ratio very stupid nerdy math shit um <laughs> but you can't calculate his assist turnover ratio because it would be division by zero which is like the worst thing you can do in math. Now I can't make that joke anymore because he has one turnover. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, schematically, they're just they're just doing a great job. And, and we've talked about it, but this is what 0.5 is, and this is what it does. Yeah, absolutely. What do you have for your first one? Um, I just want to talk about the defense, and I know that's, that's a very generic thing, so I, I guess I just have a few things to say about it, and I think it's an interesting conversation. Like, I, I, you know, I think, I guess... The reason I wanted to have all of these conversations in the first place, I think it's easy for people on the outside looking in. I think now that the Suns are 5-2, and two, I th- there would have been a little bit more national media hype if they went into tomorrow, tomorrow's a Monday, um, at 6-1. and one. You know, tomorrow's a Monday, the national media members, a lot of them work a Monday to Friday schedule. I was preparing for them to beat the Clippers, I, that's what I was hoping for, and that then there would be this explosion, just an, an absolute avalanche of national media coverage if the Suns were 6-1, and one, starting on uh, tomorrow, 
Uh, and and what I convinced myself is that it you know it hasn't happened yet because it's been a holiday weekend. So you know people these people have jobs and they have off time just <laughs> like us. And you know they just hadn't gotten around to writing those those puff pieces yet. I still think some of those puff pieces are coming. But I think for for the people who aren't paying attention, it's very easy just to kind of wish it all away and and attribute it all to Chris Paul um, or to Monty Williams or, or or something. But you know I really think there's there's quite a lot that goes into it. Um, obviously, the defense has been a lot of this is Monty Williams, but but the defense has been the thing that surprised us most, right? Like I just looked at the updated stats, so thank you for tipping me off to that. Mm-hmm. The Suns are still third in defensive rating after that loss against the Clippers. They are top ten in defensive rebound percentage, which is just a very big stat. I think that shows exactly what they're trying to do. You know, even with DeAndre Ayton kind of being the only big body on the roster to be top ten in defensive rebounding percentage shows a real commitment to crashing the glass, um, like we've talked about. Um, They're trying to force turnovers. I think they're around average in that area. And then the other thing is that uh, they had gotten a little bit lucky previously with opponents shooting poorly from three-point range. Um, However, Utah, um, I went back and looked at the box scores. Utah shot 35% from deep. We still won that game. Denver shot 41% from deep. We still won that game. Uh, The Clippers just shot 58% or something ridiculous. We almost won that game. So obviously by doing the little things on defense, and this is the the main point here because I know I've been rambling for a while. By doing the little things on defense, they've been able to create a scheme that is not just good but potentially great. And it's made me a real believer over these these, uh, first seven games because I think there are foundational pieces here that we talk about frequently. Mikhail Bridges being the guy who's going to lock down the other team's primary weapon. DeAndre Ayton being the switchable uh, defensive nightmare who can, you know, who can switch, which is not a thing that you usually see in a seven-footer. Jay Crowder being a strong guy who can kind of muscle up in the post. We've talked about all those guys. All those guys are critical to the overall defensive system that you're trying to build. However, like that's enough to make you a good defensive team, but you don't get third in defensive rating without getting a collective buy-in from all the little pieces. And I think that's the more interesting thing for us to talk about because it's the little pieces that have done the surprising stuff, that have filled in the cracks, and have made this a, just a cohesive defensive team. Everyone from Devin Booker to showing increased willingness to fight through screens and, and blow up dribble handoffs, yeah. which is not something that he's had really the reason to play for I mean I guess you could argue he had the reason to play for in previous seasons just because it's something you should do mm-hmm. but he didn't do it in previous seasons and now he's doing it and it's because he can tell that the Suns are actually on the cusp of achieving something and winning right. and he looks like a more motivated defender campaign is a guy we've talked about he's got long arms but he's not like traditionally thought of as a lockdown defender he's, he's not a guy who technically has that defensive IQ but just his effort and exactly what we were talking about earlier in this episode and exactly what you've been tweeting about all season long. When you watch campaign muscle up against Zion and and, and whoever else Go it was, Bear. Gobert, in the post to get defensive rebounds, that yeah. is something that is inspiring and also mm-hmm. points towards a collective buy-in. Cam Johnson uh, is another guy. You know, we've seen in games both against the Mavs when Mikhail was matched up against Luka Doncic and against the Jazz when Mikhail was, uh, was matched up against Donovan Mitchell. Both of those offensive assignments got so frustrated with Mikhail that what did they do in the second half? They were doing anything they possibly could to draw the switch. Whenever Cam Johnson was on the floor, that meant they wanted the supposed mismatch on Cam Johnson. And in limited sample size, admittedly, but when that sort of stuff has happened and Cam Johnson has had to be switched on to a great offensive talent, no, he's not Mikhail Bridges, but he holds his own just fine. And he looks like a totally average to maybe even slightly above average defender who's like, you know, always in the right place, getting his hands up to, to contest the shot. He's getting a decent amount of steals, a decent amount of blocks. Yeah. Um, so just overall, collectively, yes, there are a few great defenders on this team, but there isn't there isn't a weak link right now. Um, and, and I think that's what's most exciting to see for me, because especially when you play as switch heavy as the Suns defense has been to start the season, your defense is actually only as strong as its weakest link. And there is no yeah. weakest, there is no obvious weakest link right now. I do think Devin Booker still has a lot of the same issues that we've seen in the past. A lot of the same mm-hmm. ball watching issues. But I Just think... Just that o- one issue, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. But but I don't want to I think every other away. issue he had is starting to go away. Yeah, I, well, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about it now because I've had the floor for like five minutes here. But just, yeah, <laughs> I, the, the defense has just been so impressive. And I think, yes. again, it's not just a few guys, it's everyone. 
Well, I think you covered a lot there, and I think uh, what something we didn't talk about with Devin Booker that maybe his struggles offensively were as simple as he's putting in more effort on defense and that's tiring and that that's okay. You know, like Jimmy Butler is commonly a guy that you look at for that. Maybe his role is not as much, you know, James Harden, like it was the last two years and maybe a little bit more Jimmy Butler now. And that's okay because of how good the team could be within that role. Uh, but the ball watching, I think, is still going to happen a little bit, specifically when he's guarding a guy in the corner because the more Devin Booker is engaged defensively, the better he can be, I think, if he gets a little bit bored. When a guy is standing there a little too long, that's when they can back cut on him. That's when they can catch him with that easy corner three and a slow closeout. But he's closing out harder than he was last season. He's not uh, dying on screens, something that bothered me a lot. He's fighting through and and helping out DeAndre Ayton ultimately in a lot of those pick and roll plays where the job is on both of them to, to fight through every single screen there. So overall, I think he's been really good, but I think a lot of that has to do with the effort from every single person. And I think that means Monty Williams deserves a ton of credit there. And I think Chris Paul as well. I think Chris Paul is the type of guy that's barking in, in every single guy's ear and telling them how to defend on specific plays and I was going to talk about Monty Williams and rotations for my other one but I'm going to audible now because somebody you brought up that I want to spend a little bit more time on here is Jay Crowder because of how important I think Jay Crowder has been for this team in this specific run that they've been on it's been fascinating to watch Jay Crowder on like a game-to-game basis you know you you watch Jay Crowder when he's on the heat or, or when he's on Uh, the Celtics or whatever other six teams he's played on and you see him like once or twice a season and you get to experience a Jay Crowder experience he kind of fades into the background there yes he's a good defender but you don't really pick up on a lot of the little things that he does and so much of that is finding the right moment to help off for other guys he's so good at finding the right time to help he's not leaving his guys open Uh, there's so many guys that try to attack him off the dribble once or twice they run into that wall and then they just pass out and go to someone else you know what that means that means that he's not getting a block he's not getting a steal he's not even getting those defensive stats that are like uh the stats that i personally hate i'll be honest where it's like he's holding a guy to 10 percent below his season average (laughs) i don't like that's a personal attack at at some people i know myself included i actually do like those stats (laughs) no they're fine like they measure one specific thing though you know what i mean it's not really the the entire uh defense Uh, you can't use that to say somebody's a good defender only you have to look at the bigger picture you could argue that denying someone's drive and then forcing them to pass out where they don't even take the shot in the first place right or stopping them from getting the ball at all by not letting them pass the ball fronting stuff like that like yeah, those types of things, is, it's just so hard to measure. It's impossible. <laughs> you have to watch the games. And I think that's why I wanted to bring up Jay Crowder because I have a different level of appreciation for what his game is defensively uh, after watching him for these seven games and seeing how active he is, how strong he is, and how smart he is defensively. And also offensively, we've seen some of the passes. I think he he's able to make that that quick pass. He's not quite somebody that's going to create a lot of shots for others, right? He's not going to do it off the dribble or anything like that. Uh, but he is capable of uh, just making that sort of hockey assists, if you will. And I thought that's been really impressive. Um, but yeah, what do you think about Jay Crowder? Uh, yeah, dude. I mean, he's been amazing <laughs> uh, for all the reasons, for all the reasons you said. Um, on offense, he's been better than expected too. I think we have seen... I'll tip my cap to to David Nash on this one because he's the one who who brought my attention to it in one of his newsletters. That um, yeah, I, I mean, we always kind of knew it though that that Jay's not actually a good shooter, if that makes sense. Like he's he's hitting wide open threes, um, but he doesn't when when guys are actually closing out on him and contesting his shots. He's not like a Cam Johnson or even arguably Mikhail Bridges level shooter. He's just gonna get a lot of uh, open looks in this offense, and and that's kind of how you're gonna generate offense out of him but outside of that limited role i do think it's been pretty impressive on offense um that i've seen him put the ball on the floor a few times and and try to create and what you said um that he's he's a pretty solid playmaker as well yeah and like it's it's a standstill assist right that's what he's going to be good at although there was a really interesting transition no look pass to deandre under the rim in this game against the clippers that i thought was fascinating but you know 
Um, like I said, I was going to talk about rotations and Monty Williams. We'll save that for a future episode, but I just wanted to give him just a little bit more shine before we ended this podcast. I know you have one more thing uh, that you wanted to talk about, right? I what's, think we could cover this one really quickly, um, honestly, mm-hmm. because we talked about them in the past, but just it, you can't talk about why are the Suns at the top of the Western Conference without Mikhail Bridges and, and Cam Johnson. It's just, you know, yeah. the, we, we have talked about it in previous episodes. So again, I, I feel like there's not much new to say. Neither one of them had like a crazy breakout performance in the past three games where they scored 30 points, Yeah, but they continue to do their thing. Mikhail well, is conversely, taking... Well, why they struggled in this game is because they didn't really do their thing, right? <laughs> That's true. Why the Suns struggled a little bit. Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, it, it ebbs and flows. You know, uh, the, that is certainly a con... But the pro, as we talked about at the beginning, we saw a more assertive Devin Booker. So, you know, they kind of feed off each other a little bit. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, and Cam was not shy about shooting tonight. Mikhail Bridges yeah. has not been shy about shooting. Um, I think, seven. <laughs> I th- yeah, and, and you know what? There's going to be nights like that. I think we've yeah. seen a little bit less of them in the past few games of uh, creating for themselves off the dribble. But we've still seen enough of it that I believe in it. I, I totally buy that that's something. Yeah. It's in their game. It's in their repertoire. It's something they're working on. And we're going to see it more and more throughout the season, which that right there is encouraging. What we talked about on our last episode is any concerns for Devin Booker, and tonight we saw exactly what happens. If those shots are not falling for Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson, then we need Devin Booker, and Devin Booker stepped up tonight. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough, and really, I don't blame him for that, obviously. 45 minutes, basically, and 25 points on 13 shots. He did as much as he could. But going forward, I think you have to recognize those types of things. Maybe on nights that Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson are going to struggle, step up a little earlier. Another thing I want to mention just about them, since we're on it before we end here, one for seven for Mikhail Bridges, but watch how they defended him. They defended him like he was Clay Thompson in this game. It's the first time we've really seen it, where teams are now recognizing that maybe he's a little bit more of a threat from the three-point line than he was last year, and they're treating him like that, trying to run him off those three-point shots, trying to close out on him as much as possible, or even denying the ball. And we haven't really seen that a lot uh, yet. So it's really interesting to see that with Mikhail Bridges now. Very, very excited about those two guys and their growth because if they continue to be capable of scoring like they have been to start this season, the ceiling of this team is very, very high. Last thing I'll say, if you're listening to this whole podcast and you're waiting to hear Kevin O'Connor's voice... Ah, I was wondering <laughs> if you were uh, going to bring it up because I was yeah. if you weren't going to. Yeah, I'm so, I'll just say... Uh, we're working on it. We're trying. Uh, we're hoping to get him on in a future episode. He seems to be willing to do it. I will say, if you're going to ask him to come on our podcast, thank you, especially to Max Hotter, who asked him. Uh, just be nice to him. If you're going to tweet at him and ask him to come on the Timeline podcast, just be nice to him. Uh, and, we would and- love to have him on, obviously. I think it would be really fun to give him a chance to gloat about how he never stopped believing in the Suns. The only other thing I'll say about that... Um- we're, yeah, we're working on it, but it's not a guarantee. And if it doesn't happen, know that it's not necessarily due to factors entirely in KOC's control. So, yeah, or our control. Obviously, we do whatever. It either, either of our control <laughs> is what I yeah. think is important to stress. So yeah. um, thank you for all the kind messages we got on social media about it. Um, if you have no idea what we're talking about, don't even worry about it. Uh, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. But um, but yeah, I have one more piece, just one more piece yeah. of housekeeping mm-hmm. before we leave. We haven't begged for iTunes reviews or podcast reviews in a while. Um, we're getting a decent amount of, of new Suns fans who seem to be interested in, in this season. I can't imagine why. Um, but if you're relatively new to listening to the podcast and you decided to check us out and you like what you hear, um, feel free to hop on over to, to Apple Podcasts, I guess. iTunes is technically dead right um yeah. but to apple podcast and, and leave us uh leave us a review we always love to see that yes and thank you everyone for listening toronto detroit indiana detroit and indiana on a back-to-back friday and saturday that's the games this week interesting games toronto's been struggling detroit's been actually better than expected and indiana's one of the better teams in the league to start no tj warren though um so th- that'll be an interesting week we'll be back next sunday to cover that if anything really interesting happens in the meantime maybe we'll jump on the mic a little bit more too our team is is resilient they fight um all the stuff that you know city like ours can be proud of and then when it came down the stretch i thought the two threes that the surge hit uh, really put us 
you know, a bit of a bind. You know, he, I don't think he had scored until that point, and then he hit two big threes. And we still had a chance um, to tie it up. Got a decent look off, um, but just didn't work out for it. But I, I just love the way we, we, we scrapped and battled, and um, we know we can beat that team because we've done it before. We just got to get off to a better start than we Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.